Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, Kitchen Table Theology community, and welcome to episode number 79 here on Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Pastor Jeff Cranston. And I'm Jen Denton, and today we're going to be continuing our series on angelology. In our previous three podcasts in this series so far, we've answered the questions, what are angels, what are the purpose of angels, and how do they fit into God's overall plans and purposes, and what are our relationships to and with angels? If you missed any of those, you might want to check them out. And today's topic will continue, as I said, in that series. And while we're still in this doctrine of angelology, we're going to take a little bit of a turn today. We're continuing the series, but it is going to split turn. How would you describe what we're doing today? Well, yeah, it's a little bit of a a turn, Jen, but it fits within the parameters of angelology. But I don't think most of us think that what we're going to talk about fits under the topic of angels. Sure, I would agree with that. And what we're referencing or what we're referring to, kitchen table theologians, is this topic of demons, sometimes referred to as demonology instead of angelology. And I don't think that's something I've ever studied before. Sociology, psychology, but not demonology. (laughs) No, but it does fall under the heading of angelology because demons originally, well, and I guess they still are, they're they're angelic beings, but not the type of angelic beings we think about. They fall into the scary category for me. The scary category for me. And And that's how they're portrayed in culture. Yeah, that's how they're portrayed in culture, right? You know, I remember, this is probably before your time, but I remember when I was a kid, there used to be a commercial, and I always loved the commercials. There was this product called Underwood Deviled Ham. Did you ever hear of that? Oh, absolutely. Grew oh, up did. on it, man. Ham salad sandwiches. <laughs> oh, it's just the worst. It's so bad. I mean, it, it makes you think positively towards spam. Uh, mm. But yeah, they had, had this, my fair you know, share of that back in the day too. <laughs> yeah, I ate a lot of that stuff on white bread, and they had these TV commercials, and they had this little mascot. So, and I looked it up and they're still around. You can still buy it in our grocery stores. I had no idea. Is it still a white label with the little red eye on it? I don't know what it looks like today, but I'm guessing probably it does. But they had back when I was a kid, what I remember them had, they had this little devilish figure and he was red and he had a pointed tail and a pitchfork. It was the total, you know, stereotypical devil. And it was, like you said, it's a ham spread, which just (laughs) makes you want to gag. And we just ate a lot of that growing up. But the point being that the company's logo, or whatever you want to call it, was this caricature of a devil or Satan, you weren't quite sure, in order to sell their deviled ham. So not a bad one, I guess. Devilish it was to describe the spreadable meat. (laughs) Yeah, spreadable. I think that image is worse than the, than the devil himself, maybe. 
Well, I know that the Bible pretty much tells us all we need to know about everything. So I'm assuming it's going to tell us something about demons too. So how about we start there? Help us understand what the Bible tells us about this origin of demons. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today, where demons came from. So, you know, uh, Jen, in the the previous three podcasts on, on angelology, they lead us now to gain a better understanding having done those three, of Satan and of demons. And demons are evil angels who once were like the good angels, but they sinned. They lost their privileges of serving God. They got kicked out of heaven. They could no longer be in the presence of God. And like the previous angels we've learned about, the good ones, they are also, the demonic ones, are also created spiritual beings with moral judgment, with high intelligence, but without what we would understand as physical bodies. And we know from the Genesis account of creation that everything God made, he deemed it to be very good. So that would tell us that even the angelic world that God created did not have evil angels, did not have demons in it at the time of creation. But then along comes uh, Genesis 3, you know, the fall of mankind and sin, we find that Satan, in the form of the serpent, there he is tempting Eve to sin, and then it goes on to Adam and so forth. So therefore, sometime between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1, there must have been a rebellion in the angelic world with many angels turning against God and becoming evil. So you say there must have been. So isn't that kind of like an argument from silence, we have to infer a little bit there. Is there anywhere in the Bible that specifically refers to, or we just having to make that inference? Yeah, that's a very good, very good question. And the New Testament speaks about this in two places. So in 2 Peter 2, Peter tells us, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. There's a lot to unpack in that mm. Bible verse right there, my word. And then this this powerful little book of Jude, which is, you know, doesn't even have more than, it's only one chapter. It's a very brief little book and that we read this in Jude verse 6. The angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling and God has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness till the judgment of the great day. Very similar wording to Peter. So the emphasis that I think we see here is that those angels were removed from God's presence in heaven, and their activity has been restricted. And that's what he's talking about with those chains. Yet, neither of those verses imply either that the influence of demons has been removed from the world or that some demons are kept in a place of punishment apart from the world while others are able to influence the world. So rather, Peter and Jude tell us that some angels rebelled against God and they became hostile opponents to his word, his work, his ways. Their foundational sin seems to have been pride, which that's true for many of us. Mm -hmm. And they refuse to accept their assigned roles. And I, I take that from Jude, where he tells us the angels did not stay within their own position of authority. And so 
when God created them, he gave them positions of authority, and a certain number of angels defied that. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. They rebelled against that, and therefore they were they were kicked out of, of heaven. Mm. And you gave us kind of a, a point of reference, a time point of reference. You just mentioned something that happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. And I can suppose that you're referencing the fall of Satan from the book of Isaiah, right? Right. Yes. Because it's there that we read that Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High, which suggests rebellion by this angelic creature and influence. Yeah, he had a lot of influence on other angels, obviously. So, yeah, that's from Isaiah 14. And when you read that, it's there we find the fall of Satan, and that was by his own choosing, Satan's. And that's also referenced in Ezekiel 28. So let's talk about him briefly. Satan is the name given to the head of the demonic world. I'm I'm guessing that pretty much everybody who's listening to us right now you're familiar with with Satan, his name, and so forth. But let's just talk about him for a second. So Job 1, verse 6, mentions his name, and it says, The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And so there in Job, we see him as God's enemy. You know, he he asked permission to you know, to to destroy Job and so forth. And there's there's a lot of, you, you see a lot of the work of the enemy of Satan there in, in Job's life. And he comes across as God's enemy, and he brings some incredible, well, let's say temptations. He brings horrific circumstances. He brings death of Job's loved ones. Job loses everything because of Satan, what he's doing, Job. So additionally, Near the end of King David's life, 1 Chronicles 21 tells us, Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So there you see him tempting and inciting David to do something that God had forbidden him to do. David was worried about his army. God said, don't worry about it. I will do the fighting for you, etc. And David said, no, I'm going to number them. I want to know exactly how many I have. And that turned out really bad for David. Be, because he defied God on it, and Satan incited him to do that. Zechariah, the prophet, saw a vision, he said, of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Mm. So you see Satan all throughout the Old Testament. So there we see Satan doing doing his thing, doing what he does there in the Old Testament. But let's go back a little bit further. We have a lot of references for Satan, as you just said. We we all have heard that name from T-shirts and mugs that say, get behind me, Satan, to whatever. <laughs> what kind of T-shirts it, are you wearing? <laughs> it's a hotter than Satan's front porch out here, those types of things. But where did that name, Satan, originally come from? Yeah, that's interesting, because we never—it's uh, what I like about doing kitchen table theology. We get to touch on things that you hardly ever think about. Where did his name come from? It's a Hebrew word, and in Hebrew, it's pronounced pretty much the way we pronounce it in English, and the name Satan means adversary, and we know that the New Testament writers also used the name Satan a lot, which I I think simply was a carryover from the Old Testament usage. Jesus used the name Satan a number of times, Matthew 4, Luke 10, so 
we see his name used. It's it's from the Hebrew, and it's it means adversary. So there's his name, but what about him? Where does he originate? So he was again. He would have had to be part of God's creation that originally was created, and God said it was very good. So he was originally created as a holy angel, and he apparently occupied the highest position among all the angels. But he chose to rebel against God, and when he did that, he incurred the condemnation and sort of the judgment of relentless eternal punishment and divine retribution. So God brought it all on him, and when Satan fell, a large number of the heavenly angels chose to go with him. So that where did he come from? He was he was part of the original creative acts of God, and then he chose to go his own way. Okay, so as a, a recap, we've discussed from Scripture the origin of Satan and demons and Satan's name. What else do we need to draw from this on today's podcast? What else can we learn? Well, it might be helpful to remember or perhaps learn that the New Testament doesn't always just refer to Satan as Satan. There are other descriptors used for him. You read about the devil. You read about the serpent. Beelzebul, Beelzebul, the ruler of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air, and he's also referred to as the evil one. And and there's something I've always wondered about. Uh, Let me read something from Matthew 16, and maybe you can shed some light on this for us. In Matthew 16, we read, from that time, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised up on the third day. And yet Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. What's going on there other than the t-shirt I saw the lady wearing at the Walmart the other day? (laughs) Why did Jesus say that to Peter? Did he really call Peter Satan in the moment? Poor old Peter. He just he just opens his mouth and he gets in trouble all the time. Yeah, it it would be so enlightening if we could see the results of Peter's Myers Briggs personality test or his disc profile. Oh my goodness. <laughs> something all of our well, not all, I think, but most of our staff just did in the last couple of weeks. We took a, a evaluative tool called Leading from Your Strengths, and it kind of gives you your work personality. Seeing mm. Peter's I mean, you can read what we know of Peter. You can almost tell exactly where he was going to wind up on some of this stuff. But anyway, he was uh, often engaging his mouth before his brain was ever in gear. And I, and I think he did that again here. And I think it might have come from a but That's a, a big place. statement. Get behind me, Satan. Say, that's yeah. a big statement. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what but we're where seeing was he going here, with that? Yeah, I, I, I think Jesus is recognizing Peter's attempting to keep Jesus out of love for Jesus from suffering and dying on the cross. But if that were to happen, what Peter's really doing is attempting to keep Jesus from obedience to the Father's plan for the redemption of mankind. So who's Mm -hmm. the number one enemy of God's plan for the redemption of mankind? It's Satan. So 
I don't personally, I just don't think Peter had any of that in his mind when he said those words. But Jesus realized that that opposition ultimately comes not from Peter, but from Satan himself. So I think Jesus was speaking more to Satan there than than he was to Peter. But, you know, poor old Peter, he's sort of like a ping pong ball there between Jesus and Satan. He's just getting batted back and forth. You know, and and <laughs> but you know that's what Satan does. He actively works to thwart the plans and purposes of God, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in the, in the next podcast. And I think we can kind of use an analogy here. I work with students who are looking to change their lives through education, and one of the things we often talk about is removing negative influences that take you farther away from your goals, and. We have this idea that sin is anything that separates us from Christ. So if anything is stopping our purpose or, or our will for what he has for us, then that's a, a manifestation of sin. And I imagine that that would make this character of Satan pretty happy. Anything that takes us away for, from that intended purpose, like he said in this, in this verse. That's what he does. That's what he loves to do. That's what he puts his demons to work at to thwart the plan and the purposes and the will of God in our lives. And that's a great segue because that's what we're going to be talking about in our next podcast, right? The activities of Satan and his demons. Mm -hmm. Yep, we we will. And that'll be, uh, yeah, next, next podcast. And we're just going to unpack that a little bit. What is it that they do and how can we recognize that? What does it look like? Gotcha. Well, hey, y'all, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. That way, more kitchen table theologians like you can find us and discover us. It only takes about 60 seconds, and it really does make a difference. And we love reading your reviews. They're always fun. And also recommend this podcast to your friends and family, and do share it on social media. It just gets the word out. Please check out today's episode notes for further information and resources. And don't forget to head over to jeffcranston.com where you may freely access our podcast archives and other resources to help your faith journey, like Pastor Jeff's sermons, his books, and his blog. And as we leave you today, we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.